It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, what's going on, everybody? How are we all doing? We are getting ready for the Sharks and the Kraken, the third ever meeting between these two teams. And when I look at what the Sharks have been going through as of late, I mean, I obviously tie it right to the absence of Eric Carlson. It's also more the reality of something Bob Bugner's been talking about all year long with the difficulty in terms of winning a game in February as opposed to November. And I think these are, you know, two things that are timing out at the worst time for the Sharks, and that's why there's been a lot of losing as of late. But still, you know, not that far out when you look at the big picture. The San Jose Sharks this morning, they've got 52 points on the board, and they are not that far out of the final playoff spot in the West. They are trailing Edmonton with 61. That's only nine points back. That means the Sharks are most definitely still in this, but ultimately that means they've got to take care of business tonight. I also think they need to, you know, win two out of three to end the month of February to give themselves a little bit of momentum going into another extremely difficult stretch of scheduling. To talk more about all this, we are now joined by Ryan S. Clark of The Athletic, who covers the Kraken and the NHL at large. Ryan, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing very well, man. I am I am happy that the Sharks get a chance to bounce back from um, a, a tough loss last night to Boston. And, you know, now going up against the Kraken again, I feel like this is a team that, you know, they've put together some entertaining games against the Sharks this year. And, my, you know, my number one goal, man, is, is be entertained on any given night. So I'm looking forward to this. Is you know, There's part of me that hopes this does turn into, you know, a, a long-term rivalry. And I think that's what... You know, just for me, you know, I was nine years old when the Sharks came into existence in 1991, and there wasn't a whole lot of West Coast hockey, obviously, beyond Wayne Gretzky and the Kings. So I look at the the history of East Coast hockey and rivalries, and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, when my kids are, are 39 like me, that they talk about, you know, the Sharks and Vegas and Kraken and L.A., you know, all these, that it's that it's much more akin to what we see on the East Coast. Is that is that a valid hope, or am I just fighting the wrong battle against history. It's hard to say because with rivalries, you never know. And let's take the Vegas Golden Knights as a great example. Some people thought the the Golden Knights' primary rival was going to be the LA Kings just because of geography or maybe initially even the Arizona Coyotes because, again, geography. But when you look at who the Golden Knights have as rivals, yes, it's still the Kings, but mainly it's the Sharks because of a playoff series. And then right now you look at what's going on with them in the Colorado Avalanche, mm -hmm. and that's become a battle for Western Conference supremacy the last few seasons. And it looks like maybe they're going to face each other in the playoffs again. So everybody thinks like, okay, because of geographical reasons, certain rivalries are going to make sense. But even when you look at the East Coast, like it took Tampa and Florida some time for it to get to that rivalry 
because like for so long you had seen the lightning operate in a different part of the standings than than the Panthers. Whereas if now, like yes, the Lightning are two-time Cup defending champions, but when you look at what's being done at the down there in Florida and Sunrise, like there's a genuine thought. Like this is a team that could conceivably win mm-hmm. the whole thing. I mean, they're not far off the President's Trophy race. They're one of the best teams in the league. And you think that, okay, if they play Tampa, maybe they're going to win more than just two playoff games like they did a year ago. In terms of the franchise, you know, from my view, I feel like other than the product on the ice, they have gotten everything right. When you when you talk to fans, and especially in that market, which already has competition from, you know, various other sports, how, how has the, the fan base reacted? I mean, I see 17151 listed all the time, but I, you know, I know at the same time, there are still some empty seats and I've heard some complaints about fans not being able to resell their tickets. What, what is the public perception of the team right now at this point of year number one? Mixed just because the point you made about resell is a conversation that's happened. Affordability is another, the other night against the Bruins, uh, you look at some of those ticket sites and you have prices starting out at $99 to sit in the 200 section, which affordability as you know is a big issue everywhere across the united states but especially on the west coast uh in seattle is is no different and so that conversation has has certainly come into play uh another that has come into play for fans is just kind of well where is the direction of of this team because part of it was did you think this could be vegas 2.0 we've heard more people within the team say this was never going to be that but there were some who felt that from the onset in fairness to them. But right now, when you look at where this team is, I mean, March is just around the corner. The deadline's on the 21st. Ron Francis already told our Pierre Lebrun that, hey, look, they are going to look at moving Mark Giordano, mm-hmm. which is something that we had previously reported that Giordano and Francis were going to speak as well. But it's not just Giordano who could move. You could see Kelly Yarncrook, Marcus Johansson. Um, our latest big board has it to where maybe Jonas Donskoy, a name that people down there are familiar with, mm-hmm. could also be moved. So right now, it's kind of looking at like what is this team going to be? But as it relates to the sports calendar, like the slide that they've had, it comes at a really interesting time because in the beginning while there was this newness about the team, you still had Seahawks football going on. You had the University of Washington, Washington State playing games. And then when all that was over, it was kind of felt like maybe the attention would be on the Kraken. And while it's been, it's also made fans in this area go, well, the Sounders are starting up and they've been good the last several years. And plus they have a really strong fan base. You're looking at what's going on with the storm and Sue Bird saying this looks like it's going to be her last year. And then if the major league baseball negotiations can get figured out, there is an appetite for Mariners at what we saw last year, along Mm -hmm. with the fact that they're considered one of the best, if not the best farm system in major league baseball. It makes people excited for this team in a way that, Again, it was seen a few years ago, but like they think this could be more sustainable. So it's just an interesting landscape for several reasons as it relates to the Seattle Kraken. Is part of that also the comparisons to Vegas, which is maybe unfair for every expansion team in sports that will come along since them? I mean, I because I, I work in Major League Soccer as well, and like you know, you you see that on message boards, people whether it's you know whatever team it's going to be, there's they point to Vegas. Like Vegas is the the shining example. You know, it is, but it's hard to say because there's some people, fans specifically, who thought, like, could this be Vegas? Some who thought, if it's not Vegas, could this at least be a team that's at slightly above or slightly below 500 
or others who thought if they're not in a playoff spot, at least they're close to being in a playoff spot. Whereas if right now you're trying to sell people on the future, if you're the Kraken and the reality of it is this, like at this stage, you're probably going to have a top three pick at this stage. You're going to have the conversation about what to do with, with Maddie Beneers, who they took number two in the last draft. You also have a little bit more than 27 million in cap space. Mm -hmm. And depending on what happens at the deadline, maybe you're able to move more money and free up more money. But then you look at the off season and you say to yourself, like there's a lot of potential for what they could do. I mean, you look at this team and like, look, there's so many areas to address. Like you could add forwards, you could add defensive help. You could do all these different things. But even if you do all those things, it's still the matter of like, are you heading in the direction where people think this could go? But on the flip side, like a point that people have made about Vegas is this, while this is a team that has definitely been able to win when right away was able to use draft capital, which is another thing we can get into that, that, that they had at the expansion draft. Like there comes a point when you can't just continue to make trades. You have to start relying on players from within. And when you look at Vegas, like it's a system that like, yes, it has given him Nick Hague. It has given him Zach Whitecloud. But at the same time, like, what are those other pieces? We've seen a Keegan Colasar coming on an ELC in a low-level contract at times. But it's like, what does the pipeline look like going forward? And that's a question that they're going to have to eventually answer. And it's one the Kraken are trying to answer right now. So just to play devil's advocate, though, wouldn't a marketing person say, regardless of what any team develops, if you're new to a market, isn't it more important to be good in the here and now as opposed to be building towards the future because if you if you establish not being good that can turn off the potential for fans it could but it goes back to something a lot of people in the league said this time a year ago they could go 0 for 82 or 82 and no it doesn't matter they're going to make money hand over fist true and so while you may not see it with people being in the stands the reality is those tickets are sold then you see it with other things like for example you take their black history night. Like, yes, that is something that is serious to the crack. And they've made it clear DEI is a priority, but at the same time, those black history month warm-up sweaters that they had, the hoodies, the mm -hmm. hats, like these are all things that people from all over hockey were just like, wow, I want that. And like, that's an extra revenue stream. Like the deal they have with their RSN is an extra revenue stream. And so really at this point, it's like, it's about looking at it as a return on investment and so if year one isn't the way you wanted it to be, yes, fans could be frustrated, but that's where if you're them, you could come back over the next several months and say, we're bringing up our top prospect. We're getting a top three pick. We spent more money in free agency. We think this team could be better. And then, yes, you could argue the clock really starts in year two. But at the same time, like it is about how do you end year one with fans feeling they can see the direction where it's heading. What do you think of where the San Jose Sharks are right now? I, I mean, they were very much in the hunt in the playoff picture until recently. It also coincides with the injury and loss of Eric Carlson, where he's a polarizing figure in San Jose. But I think fans maybe have realized how important that he's been because they've only won two games since he's been out of the lineup. Um, wh where do you think this team is headed? Really, that kind of starts and ends with what happens with Tomas Hurdle. Mm -hmm. It's a situation with, with him where... Do you try to move him in March with the idea that you are going to get not only a significant bounty, but at the same time, when you look at how much current cap space they, they have in their projected cap space right now, they're projected to have a little more than 5 million in projected cap space. 
that puts the Sharks in a position to not only move Hurdle and other pieces, but it allows them to get something back in return for being able to hold on to salary, much like we saw teams do last year at the deadline. But in terms of like where they are long term, like the reality of it is this. Like this is a team that they have to figure out what direction they're going to go. And when you look at how many UFAs they have between Pagliano, Barbanov, um, of course, so much hurdles, a name we just mentioned. But then it's it's also looking at like, OK, what is the best approach for the future when you look at where things exist with with their prospect base as well? So right now it looks like the Sharks like the thing is, this, you see certain potential they have with guys like William Eklund, excuse me, I'm thinking of him and Ozzie Weisblatt. You think of <laughs> William Eklund, you think of Ozzie Weisblatt, Brendan Coe. I mean, like, these are all players, especially forwards, that people have high hopes for. So at the same time, like, that's just it. Is like, you see the direction where they're going, but it's just about figuring out, like, what's the rudder that's going to steer them? Because really, that's just it with them, is, like, you see the direction, but, like, where is it going to go? And not only that, but like to your point about a guy like Carlson, like, yes, he helps. But also, this is the other thing that's so interesting about the Sharks. Everybody says, okay, they look like they're heading in the direction of a team that's going to try to maybe hit the reset button. But you still got Eric Carlson for a lot of years. You got Brent Burns for a lot of years. Mark Edward Vlasic for a lot of years. And Logan Couture for a lot of years. And so, like, you have a little bit of a baseline, but it's just about – how do you work around that? And we've seen the LA Kings do that mm-hmm. and they found a way to make it work with those veteran pieces. So maybe it's a similar philosophy or maybe they try to go on a different approach. But the thing is this, like there's enough talent there to where they could do some things, but at the same time, like if they were going to hit the reset button, then they've got to figure out like, how does that work with so many long-term deals on the books? The thing that always gets me, and I think it's comparable to what we see in Seattle is that I think that, the Sharks, you know, again, obviously team employee here speaking, but I think the reality in the Bay Area is that if you're not good, there's a lot of other entertainment options. I mean, the, the San Francisco Giants won three World Series in five years, and then a year and a half later, the stadium was empty. The 49ers went to three consecutive NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl, opened up a new stadium, and then the next year when they were bad, it was empty. I mean, because if you're not, if the Sharks aren't great, then the Warriors are. And if the Warriors aren't great, the Sharks are great. And, you know, if the you know if you're a South Bay fan, you want to go to an Earthquakes game. I mean, it's just, you know, then there's the A's as well, and they're perennial playoff contenders. I mean, I understand why the Sharks have gone more for the reset as opposed to the rebuild. It's just the reality of the environment you live in if you're in a major sports market. And so if you're in a place like the Bay Area, like there's all the things you've just mentioned. But it also goes back to this. Then there's a percentage of people who could care less about sports and and for them, it's just a game is a game is a game, regardless of who's playing. <laughs> and with Seattle, it's it's a little bit of the same situation. But the other thing is this, that it keeps coming back to with the Kraken. Like, you talk about, like, all these different things that people could choose from. Mm-hmm. Don't think the NDA isn't this looming figure everyone looks at and right. says, so how does the dynamic change if and when the NBA does come back? Because, look. The Kraken's ownership group hasn't really hidden the fact they want to get the NBA back. You walk around the arena, you can see where the NBA locker room is. Like, they're very adamant about it. Like, it was one of those things where the league said, we need to start playing games in Seattle Tuesday. <laughs> Climate Pledge Arena is like, we have all your needs. Uh, <laughs> just, just say when, where, how many, and how many people do you need in the stands. They'll take care of the rest. But yeah, look, I mean, that's always going to be the dynamic. But the thing is this, at the same time, like you say that, but there's something to be said for the historical context of it too. Like everybody talks about the Warriors right now. is like, oh, wow, they're this, they're that, blah, blah, blah. But 
people still went when Adonis Foyle was there. People still went when Monte Ellis was there. I mean, <laughs> they're not the hanging with Mr. Cooper era warriors anymore. But like the thing is this, like it's an area where people support, but it's just like, how do you gauge that support? Because is it a place like that where people will still go? It just may not be a mass numbers versus the idea of like when they're good, like you think everyone's a diehard. And so that's just it right now, whether you're the Sharks or you're the Kraken. It's like you're in this interesting place where you're trying to find fans. But the reality is this, you know, when you get to where you want to be, it is going to be a maddening environment. So before I covered the Kraken, I covered the Avalanche for two years. Mm -hmm. And it was that playoff series where the Sharks played the Avs. And like that game where, again, like Pavelski comes out and people lose their minds and they're wearing the all black. Like it's just that is just such a loud, loud, loud building and a loud fan base. So, again, it's like anything you're going to have people who support. But it it's one of those when they're winning and it doesn't matter the market, you're always going to see better and more support. Because, again, it's just that's the natural order of things. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good point. It's just I always look at it, you know, Seattle, the Bay Area, they offer because it's not just sports. You know, it's the concert venues, it's the restaurants, it's the museums. It's like there's a lot of different ways that people can spend their money and uh, it, it makes, it makes it all the more important. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're good, you're good. And yes, I was, I was one of those kids. My dad was not taking me out to see the Warriors so much as who the Warriors were playing back in those days. <laughs> so, no, no. <laughs> well, but you know, again, it, it, that, that happens everywhere. Yeah. Cause, cause like you look at every market, every market goes through it. Like right now, the Denver nuggets are in a situation in which like they are a must see team. Of course, when Jamal Murray and, and, the, and, and, like, is healthy to go with Jokic. Yeah, they're one of the three best teams in the West. There's no denying that. But at the same time, like, every team, every market goes through it. I mean, like, how many times have we seen people think, is this it for the Bulls, where after Jordan, it's this lull. <laughs> and then it's the Kirk Heinrich, Joachim Noah, Richard Hamilton group. And then that falls through. And then it's the Gasol group. And you think maybe this is going to work. And then that doesn't work out. And then you look at this current iteration where it's like between DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. And I would assume you look at the Bulls and you're like, you know, I really think they figured it out this time. So again, you just never know. Ryan, absolutely brilliant stuff, man. Appreciate your time and your work with the athletic. And I hope I can bug you again for an interview soon. Oh, Hey, that's not a problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. Again, that was Ryan Clark with The Athletic helping us get ready for tonight's game between the Kraken and the San Jose Sharks. And again, my whole thing is for the San Jose Sharks, can they beat this Kraken team who up to this point of the year has had their number? And can they give themselves some momentum going into the next month of scheduling? And one of the other things that I do pay attention to and I'm waiting to hear on is what happened to Mario Ferraro last night. How, how bad is that injury? You know, we haven't had an update as of this point. Um, obviously, we want to, you know, hope that he's back and as quickly as possible for his own sake and for the sake of the team because Mario Ferraro is such a big part of the Sharks in terms of their leadership, in terms of their play on the ice, in terms of where they are headed as a franchise. He's a big part of the future, in my opinion. And to watch him go down last night, uh, you know, that... That was just the last thing the team needed. I mean, not that you ever need an injury per se, but it was just like in light of all the injuries the Sharks have taken this year in light of all the hits they've taken, it was just like, it was just another blow. And you were just like, come on, you, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, it's no better time than tonight to bounce back with a win. And again, while I'm not trying to ignore the fact that they went seven straight without a win, if the Sharks can win two out of three to end the month, you know, I, I like that because, again, uh, the the West is not full of juggernauts this year. The Sharks are not that far out. 
They are, with 52 points, only nine back of Edmonton. And also, beyond that, my desire to see the Sharks play better from month to month, while February has not been in line with those expectations, you would like to see them kind of recapture what they have been previously and see if they can carry that into the month of March um, when obviously so much is going to happen. So 52 games in, they've got 30 to go. Anything can happen at this point, and I think we're all excited to see uh, what can definitely happen next. But again, join us for pregame coverage at 6.30 tonight against the Seattle Kraken, and then we do have your game coverage with Dan Rusinowski right here on the Sharks Audio Network starting at 7, and then I will be back with you on Monday morning for Morning Tide as we go over everything that happened uh, in this game against the Kraken as the Sharks look for their first ever win against the expansion side. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.